Just as David also speaks of the blessing of one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawlessness, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, so... um, oh. So last week, we looked at the example of Abraham, as you can see uh, at the end of these verses, uh, calling back. And Paul was citing Abraham to answer um, the question of, uh, or he is using an Old Testament quotation to make a case for the question that he is posing. Uh, that is, is God... Uh, not is God only the God of the circumcised, or is He also the God of the uncircumcised? Uh, generally, you could break those up into two categories: Jews and Gentiles. Uh, that that doesn't necessarily work here uh, as well for reasons that we'll get into later on. But right now, the distinction is between circumcised and uncircumcised. Uh, but Paul argues that both parties will be justified by faith in God and his promises, rather than a justification by works of the law, and in particular, circumcision. I mean, we've been going through Romans for a bit. If y'all don't remember, uh, uh, this was a topic at hand, at, I think, uh, the beginning of Romans 3, or the end of Romans 2, where there is a belief that because you are circumcised, you will be exempt from judgment. You will not be upheld to the same judgment because you're circumcised. You're part of God's people. You're Jewish. So there's no way God is going to, to judge you or judge his people. Uh, Paul went to great extents to show that that's not the case. And then this is kind of further unfolding of this argument. There's really... There's a big argument kind of unfolding throughout Romans, and this is one of the points that needs to be covered if we want to understand salvation by faith alone. But, yeah, uh, the the first person that we examined, which was last week, is Abraham, and there's two people, or there's two Old Testament quotations that come, Abraham and David, Um Last, last week's examination, that took a bit longer, but that's because we had to set up a whole way of thinking about salvation of Old Testament saints by faith rather than works. Um, we say uh, we saw Abraham was made righteous not by any actions he did, but rather by his beliefs in the, or by his belief in the promises of the Lord. If you're confused how that conclusion has happened, then I guess... 
you should probably go listen to last week's Bible study, because uh, this week I am not going to be so much as setting up the foundations for that, as opposed to just continuing on with this argument through the quotation that is set up with David. But, yeah, um, I'll, I'll give a quick short summary of it. Uh, in short, Abraham was justified by faith rather than by works. Abraham may not have known the exact means in which his justification comes to him, um, now we know, because we have more revelation, that it is by Christ's work on the cross, but the important thing is that Abraham was just by faith, justified by faith in God, uh, and God's promise to preserve his people and to uh, redeem and justify his people, um, which is, you know, what Christ does. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. But, yeah, with all that being said, let's, uh, let's start to look at the text, uh, starting from verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts... Uh, wait. I think... Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Verse 6 just starts in a weird place where it's like mid-sentence, and that just threw me off for a second. But verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works... And here's the quotation: "Blessed are those who are lawless, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin." So um, Paul uses a quotation from Psalms, and in particular Psalm 32, one through two. Um, this is this Old Testament quotation is used in addition to Paul's other Old Testament quotation of Genesis fifteen six, which was the one about Abraham being justified um, by faith, or Abraham was given righteousness by faith. Um, it is not uncommon for New Testament writers to use Old Testament quotations in order to prove a concept they are arguing for or writing about. Um, like I said earlier, the argument that Paul is continuing is that. God is the God of both circumcised and uncircumcised people, and he will justify both um, by faith in him. So let's uh, let's take a look at the, the quote that we are given. Um, David, this quote is from David in the Psalms, Psalm 32, 1 through 2. Um, but what this quote is not describing, this quote is not describing blessings from obedience to the law. Uh, David is not making an argument saying, blessed are those who have no iniquity. Blessed are those who have no deeds that need to be forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins do not need covering. Um, David is talking about a completely different thing. David is saying, blessed are those who are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed are those uh, whom the Lord will not count his sin. This doesn't sound like justification by the law. I mean, Paul has already firmly established uh, that the point of the law is that it condemns us, and no one can hold up to the standard of the law. We've all fallen short. The law does not cover our sins. It points to us and our brokenness, and it says you're broken and you're sinful. It is the gauge in which we see our sinfulness. It is the thing that accuses us. The law is... Uh, not what covers us or what can justify us because if you are in disobedience to the law then it is your condemnation not your salvation 
but what David is describing, it sounds a lot more like justification by faith. Uh, Paul has already said that we fall under the law and that there is nothing we can do about it. We are sinful under the law and there's nothing that we can do about it. Any other means is not possible. Paul went through every single other example for, you know, Gentiles. The moralist can't be saved by his morals. The Jews, the Jews can't be saved by circumcision or physicality of the law. The, the, there's not really the pagans. They can't be saved by their utter sinfulness where they don't even care about how sinful they are. They don't even try to put up a front, but they're still going to be sinful. There, the those, There's nothing because those are the three major categories of pretty much everyone. And then those would divide into subcategories, so you can't really play the whataboutism game. Where you say, what about this? What about this? Well, that's just a different version of this thing. It's a different version of this thing. No matter how you cut it, no matter how you slice it, we are going to be condemned by the law. We have fallen short of the law, and there is no other option for salvation. The only other thing that can happen is faith. And... Uh, I think I definitely think that is the option that David is describing here, and that's what Paul is insinuating here from this Old Testament quotation. Uh, for faith, uh, for in faith, Christ washes us clean. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of God. And when we have faith in the fulfillment of the promises, we are justified by the blood of Christ. Uh, we have revelation to know what we are being justified by. Um, David and Abraham might not know the exact details of their justification, although they do have something pretty similar to what we have. They have Genesis three fourteen through sixteen, which uh, the the stomping the the woman's seed will stomp on the serpent's head, killing it, but the the seed will bruise its heel. Um, but they have faith in the promises of God, uh, where we have faith in the fulfillment of those promises. The only way we can be made clean is by the blood of Christ. And the same goes here for Old Testament saints. Uh, last week, we saw that Hebrews pointed out that the blood of bulls and goats does not save anyone. But uh, they are meant to point to the true source of salvation, that being Christ Jesus. It is only by Christ's sacrifice on the cross that our sins can be covered. Uh, that our sins won't be counted against us, that our sins are forgiven. Christ took on our sins on the cross and gave us new life. This is the same for Old Testament saints as well. This uh, There is no distinction. If Paul were to argue that there was now a distinction, um, then why would that distinction be gone today? If Paul is arguing that no one can be justified by the law, why does that all of a sudden change? For no reason, just because of a, a New Testament? Well, why can't a person who is the bloodline of Jewish and been circumcised, why can't he go back and be justified by the law? There's not two means of salvation. But um, the this topic, it may seem a bit far removed from us today. Like, how are we supposed to even properly apply it to our lives? How do you, how do you take the concept of learning how Old Testament saints were saved, how does that help us in any way in the Christian walk? Well, um, we gain confirmation of a few things, or a continual confirmation. Um, firstly, the Lord is unchanging, and he, show, and he does not show partiality in how he saves man. Secondly, uh, this is a confirmation of the planning of redemptive history from before the foundations of the world. 
both of these realities call for praise to be given to the Lord. Uh, the Lord is not developing. He is perfect in nature, and he will always be perfect. He always has been perfect. Always has been as far back as you want to go. Always will be as far forward as you want to go. And currently, he is perfect. It is a part of his nature. Um, but he is perfect, even extending to how he operates for salvation. How he saves without partiality. The Lord has not haphazardly put together two covenants as a last-ditch effort. He didn't just realize, oh man, that blood economy that I made with Adam and Eve when I killed an animal and clothed them in it after they sinned, that wasn't enough. I need to go back and change that because I messed up. That is that is not how the Lord operates. It's not something that can catch him by surprise. It's... You, it can't be phrased like that. Christ's death on the cross was not some sort of uh, not thought out, mission impossible, last minute plan. Oh well, this uh, this law stuff it's really not working out. Well, better better go back to plan B. No, no, that's not what this is. All of this was planned out before you were born, before I was born, before your grandparents were born, before your parents were born, before your great 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 grandparents were born. This was planned from before the foundations of the earth. This calls for praise to be given to the Lord. And guess what? That's that's what the purpose of his divine forbearance that Paul cited in Romans 3.25 was. We already went over that previously, but it's it's for his glory. It's it's beneficial to us to find ways to glorify the Lord, to glorify him in his never-changing nature and his perfect planning, his divine forbearance. We should be glorifying the Lord because of his nature, because of his character, because of how he has because of how he has operated and how he has planned redemptive history and how it's just not some sloppily thrown together plan that a mere man would come up. No, it's it is much deeper and much better than that and we should praise him for it. But yeah, Let's, uh, I guess, quick little summary of the quote, because that, that was a bit of a tangent at the end. But uh, David is talking about salvation by faith. This is not salvation by works of the law. It's blessing from righteousness apart from works. And what's the only thing apart from works? It's it's going to be faith. But let's, let's move on to the next verses in here, uh, starting from verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the signs that he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteous would be counted to them as well, and to make him father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also to walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, um, by this point, I have mentioned circumcision quite a few times this week and last week, um, whether in the setup to chapter 4 or actually in chapter four, 
but circumcision hasn't come up too much in the text just yet. Uh, it's been kind of just Old Testament quotations, not particularly talking about uh, circumcision. It's not referencing circumcision at all much. But now here is where Paul is tying it together at the end. It's a bit of a mic drop. First, uh, he sets up the question at the end of chapter 3, then he gives Old Testament quotations from uh, Abraham and David, talked about justification by faith. Now we're revisiting the original question. Will God justify both the circumcised and the uncircumcised? Uh, Paul starts with kind of a rhetorical question that most people or most Jews or most, yeah, most people would probably get wrong. Was it was it before or after circumcision that Abraham was made righteous? Um, Abraham was not circumcised first, then made righteous. Abraham was first made righteous, then circumcised after. If we look at what Paul was talking about earlier in Romans, we can see that Paul was arguing that circumcision is an outward sign meant to point to an inward reality, that reality being circumcision of the heart. Uh, having a righteous heart. Circumcision of the heart comes from faith in the promises of God. Abraham's heart was circumcised before his foreskin. Abraham was uncircumcised, but he but also made righteous, which fits into the second category of the question. Will uncircumcised people be saved by God? The answer is yes. Yes, they will, and it happened already in the Old Testament. There's already a biblical precedent for the uncircumcised being saved. And a lot of people or a lot of Jews would be very confused. Like, what? He's Jewish. How could this possibly happen? What? How How are you getting to this conclusion? And it's, it's uh, Paul goes on to explain it more. Uh, the, it's, it's used to set up an example, but Abraham was a first made righteous, then circumcised. Because the righteousness, the circumcision of his heart is more important than the circumcision of his flesh. The circumcision of his heart is righteousness. He is justified before the Lord with a circumcised heart. And the circumcision of the flesh is meant to point to his heart. It's meant to say, hey, I've been made by righteous I've been made righteous by God because I have faith in him, because I glorify him, because I have trust in his promises and what the Lord tells me. And because of that, not because of any of the works that I'm doing, the Lord has made me righteous. The righteousness did not stem from me. It stems from God. So that's the that's uh, the first part, or that's the second part of the question. Uh, will the circumcised and uncircumcised be saved? So let's go to the first part of it. Um, the first part of the question is now, is God the God of circumcised people? And the answer is still yes. Quotation from Psalm is a quotation from a circumcised man, that being David. David was a descendant of Abraham and would fall under the category of the last part of verses 11 and 12, which let me read that. Uh, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised that the righteous would be counted to them as well and make to the him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, and this is uh, the important part, who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of faith that their that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the David would fall under 
the secondary category of uh, he was a circumcised of the flesh, but he was also uh, following in the example of faith that Abraham set. Um, that the the purpose of Abraham being saved by faith is to set a precedent of faith, but also to show that circumcision is supposed to point to that inward reality of faith. Um, and in that inward reality of the heart, the, the circumcised heart. And David was the example of that. David was the person who, even you know, as he has been circumcised, he's still talking about being justified by the Lord through faith. He's still talking about these things the same way that it's referred to in Genesis 15, 6, where the uncircumcised man was justified by faith. There is no distinction between them. So let's let's answer this question in full. Is God the God of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised? The answer, yes. God is both the God of the uncircumcised of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Both are justified by faith in the promises of God, and both are made righteous by the blood of Christ. Anyone who is saved by God, whether that be us today or Old Testament saints, are saved by grace through faith by the blood of Christ. Our faith is in the fulfillment of God's promises, our modern-day faith, because of the revelation that we have. And the Old Testament saints' faith is from believing in God's promises. Both are stemming from the belief in the promises of God to justify his people and preserve them. The difference is just um, the amount of revelation. And remember, when we were talking about the law, I was, I was kind of talking in similar terms. It's not about the degree of revelation, it's about the response. So Gentiles have the works of law written on their hearts, the Jews have the law and physicality, while Abraham and all of them, they may not have had the degree of revelation to know who Christ is, how he died in the story, and then even reading it now as we're going through Romans, all these epistles, all this information that we have to better learn about the Lord and better learn about the book that he gave us for life. We, we have it to an insane degree. Abraham and them, they had like Genesis uh, 3, 14 through 16, and they they have the promises that God is giving to them. And the just because their degree of revelation is less doesn't mean that because they have faith in the degree of revelation, that's somehow different. Their, their faith in God and his promises is what justifies them. Now, the means of their justification comes through later, the, the blood of Christ, and that can only be done because of the divine forbearance that God shows in not instantly smiting Abraham when he sins or instantly smiting David when he sins. He has a divine forbearance. He allows the sins to happen, builds up a credit in a sense, and then eventually when that credit is going to be paid off by Christ, by his works, by his works on the cross— the blood economy calls for blood as the credit that you need, as what to pay. The In the proper way, or I shouldn't say proper, in normal circumstances, I suppose, um, Abraham and David would have to pay with their own blood. But because of the divine forbearance of God, because God has planned out redemptive history, because God is unchanging and does not justify people differently, then they don't have to pay for it because Christ's blood is the one paying for it. Christ's blood is the one that satisfies this blood debt that they have, this blood debt that we all have. We are all in a blood debt to God because there's a blood economy, and when we sin, blood is required. Death is required. But because of divine forbearance of sins and God's righteousness, 
we are not instantly smited. We are given the ability to glorify him, and this plan of redemption is to glorify him. There's not some different plan of salvation for Old Testament people because no one can be justified by the law, and if there is some other way to be saved, then Christ would be lying. He has said that the only way to get to the Father is through him, is through Christ. You cannot go to the Father through the law, which you constantly break, there's, there's no other means in which to gain salvation on your own because you can't gain salvation because you deserve something differently. The only means of salvation is by faith in the promises of God and having God justify you and make you righteous, not by your own doing. We can never hope to be justified by circumcision or by the law. Instead, have faith in God and his promises and be made righteous, not by your own doing, but by the works of Christ. Give God the glory in all that we do. We shouldn't boast because we didn't do this ourselves. Our righteousness does not come from ourselves. We did not make ourselves righteous. God did. And anything we do with this new life that God has given to us should be used for his glory, not our own. Um, one last kind of important thing to note or kind of interesting thing to note is in, uh, let's see, in verse 11, um, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised and not merely the circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the important thing to note here is to make him the father of all who believe. So Gentiles who would, uh, who would um, talk about not talk about who would join um, Judaism, convert over to Judaism and be circumcised, the Jews would fiercely guard a phrase. That phrase was Abraham being our father. Gentiles could not say our father, even if they converted to Judaism. Gentiles had to say your father when talking in regards to Abraham. Gentiles could not put themselves in the place of being a descendant of Abraham. Um, the, the Jews did not want that and did not allow that to happen. But now here Paul comes in and he's talking about how Abraham is the father of all who believed. The promises of Abraham are from are then going on to all who believed. Not just those who are descendants and who are circumcised, but those who come in by faith. Because Abraham was not made righteous by his circumcision, he was made righteous by his faith. Abraham did receive circumcision to point to his faith, to point to his circumcised heart. We are now children of God through faith, through adoption, not merely some bystander watching. We are now children of God. We are adopted into a new family. We're adopted into these promises. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. Um, is there any, any questions before I close us in, in prayer for tonight?
No? Okay. There What's was a Gentile? one. Yeah. Um, a Gentile is someone who is just not Jewish. So you have, yeah, just a non-Jew. You have Jews and Gentiles. So you have Jews being one group and then Gentile being, you know, all of the rest of humanity, pretty much. I, uh, I had a question. Are we doing a specific study or is this just out of the book? Uh, yeah, this is just out of the book of Romans. We're just going okay. uh, verse by, pretty much verse by yeah. verse. Yeah, <laughs> I joined a little late and I didn't I didn't catch last night. So what, what time do y'all usually do? Uh, this happens at 6 p.m. EST. Okay, perfect. Uh, do we have a place that we like put uh, the main points and stuff at? If uh, we miss, or could that be arranged? Um, there's the this is recorded. If you ever want to go back and listen to it, uh, there'll be an announcement in the Bible study chat up in uh, let's see the important tab. If you want, okay. I can send you some notes for the stuff. I have all my notes kind of documented in Google Docs. I can yeah, make yeah, a, yeah. a little place for that to happen. But yeah, that'd be sick, dude. All right. Any other questions before I wrap this up in prayer? What, Luke? Not yet. Sorry. Uh, yes, I have, I have more of a seat. I think, okay. it, I think it was just cool that I'm talking to the thing, my phone, to my phone, Luke. What are you doing? Sorry. Um, I thought it was cool how, like, you can actually see, like, him quoting. Uh, people, Luke, stop. I'm in the middle, I'm not done. Oh, don't clean those. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, I thought it was cool how you could see that the debit credit analogy, like in the actual text written before anyone's knowledge of Jesus. You know, blessed of those who. Uh, iniquities are forgiven i thought that was yeah definitely yeah and, and for me i don't uh, what was cool for me i thought it was cool that you uh you brought up the point that in his heart he was he was circumcised right because i mean i had heard of the whole you know you had to be circumcised to be a jew thing right and all of that to be pure or whatever uh, but i had never really thought of it in the heart you know what i mean it was a cool different way to look at it yeah definitely well, anything else before I pray? No? Okay, let me, uh, let me pray for us, and uh, we can be done. But yeah. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this time of us being able to, to study your word and to glorify you and to just see how perfect you are, Lord, and how how all of this is done for your glory, that even in your salvation of man, it ultimately points to glory for you, God, that we should give you glory in everything that we do, Lord, because we have no room to boast. You are the one who makes us righteous. We, we just praise you for all that you do, God. I uh, just pray for us for the, for just the rest of this week that we'll be able to just keep our mind centered on you and the Christ that sacrificed and the sacrifice that Christ has given to us and has justified us by, and that we'll be able to just read your word and to pray to you and just praise you every day, God. Uh, I just pray for all these things in your